Hello, everybody, and welcome once again as we continue on in our study that we're doing in the New Testament. Uh, New Testament verse by verse, we're calling it. We're just started 12 weeks ago. We're in Matthew chapter 12, and we're glad you're here as part of this five year ongoing study of the New Testament. Um, <laughs> so you've got to project it out there a little bit. And then after that, 15 years in the Old Testament, and we'll have it done verse by verse all the way through. So set your calendars, don't miss. And uh, I just hope there's a lot of video storage on the websites. <laughs> That's a lot of messages. Um, we are, like I said, in Matthew chapter 12. I'd like to start by going ahead and reading Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version today. That's also in your uh, bulletins if you want to read along. I think it's front and back to get it all in there. It's 50 verses. So it'll take me a couple minutes to read it. Or you can follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Pew Bibles or NIV. You can follow along in there if you'd like. Or just follow along in your translation, whatever you're most comfortable with. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 and following. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not suff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household Divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. 
He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This, that is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his, to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, so we're moving through our text. And uh, we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus. And um, from, his, uh, through his, from his birth, through the, the baptism and the temptation... And then the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which was the first five, chapters 5 through 7. From there, he's gone out and he's begun to demonstrate that the kingdom of heaven is upon us. The kingdom of God is here. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about it. And now he's demonstrating it through these miracles. Now remember, when he talked on the Sermon on the Mount, he kept saying, You have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing there is he is turning everything upside down at that point in time. And basically, he's, he's sort of turning over the tradition of the Pharisees. And, and they aren't very happy. Because uh, what's happening is, all that they've been doing, Jesus is sort of turning around because they've taken the nation of Israel in a bad direction. And they've moved them even further away from God. So let's just talk about the Pharisees, though, because sometimes we want to just dismiss them as bad people. And, and 
it didn't start out that way. The, the, the movement of the Pharisees actually had at its origin a pretty sound start. That's why it's so important, see, because it's easy for us to judge the Pharisees, and yet we all tend to be a little Pharisaical. And if we're not willing to look at the Pharisees and see what they do and not apply that to ourselves, we'll get very pharisaical and legalistic. And so we have to be aware of what they were. See, because a lot of times we think our intentions are right, but remember last time we, we got together and I talked about how we always try and put God in a box? And we want, we have a, we have a, we've done it. All of us have a, a, a God box. And we expect God to fit in it in just a certain way, that He will fit in that box. And anything outside that box can't be God. The problem is, you can't put God in a box. And, and every time you think you've got Him in one, He will do something to make sure that you get your box back expanded. Because he, he He's not going to let that happen. And so we've got this box now that the Pharisees have made about God. And, and um, let's just talk about the Pharisees for a minute. Because they started out about 200 years before Christ. And they had, the Pharisee at, at its root meaning means to be separate. And they organized themselves, they separated from what was happening uh, in, in that Judaism was becoming Hellenized. Do you know what that means? The, the Greek influence was, was messing up Judaism, all right? When you see the word Hellenistic, that's what's happening. And so they separated in order to preserve the traditions, of the Jewish faith. It started with a good, sound reasoning for being there. But like a lot of things, over time, other things begin to happen in the process. And this is what we have to look at. And so what happened over time was that the Pharisees, um, rather than being the defenders of the law, became more acutely sort of uh, the people who put out there this oral tradition. And these oral traditions added to the law, and they added hundreds of new rules and regulations that weren't in the Scripture, but they became part of the oral tradition of the Pharisees. And and, uh, a lot of the things you hear Jesus is saying to them is you've condemned the innocent. You've put all this stuff on them that was never intended to be on them, and I've come to set that all straight. That was the whole deal about all the stuff he was doing on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So in their, in their desire uh, initially to try and to defend the faith, the Jewish faith, started out good, but it had morphed into something completely different, which was now making it impossible for people to come to God. That's what ultimately had happened. They'd made it so it wasn't possible. And they had become very closed in their um, dealing but they'd become very, very powerful because the people had respected what they were doing and, and yet now this was sort of a, a yoke upon the people that was a heavy one to bear. Remember we talked about yoke last week and Jesus said, that's not my yoke. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Part of, that, part of that's a description about him working with us, but part of that is about this, this teaching that had been placed on them that was filled with these oral traditions. Now, what happens is the Pharisees are very much involved in this process. And they, they've listened to what Jesus had to say. And now they've watched what Jesus has done. And they have clearly seen the power of God at work. It's, it's been evidenced to them time after time after time. And they're going to have to make a decision, a conscious decision to reject 
Jesus. Because he's not the package they expected. And, and see, that's the problem. Is that because he doesn't come the way they expected him to come, they're going to choose to reject him. And there's great consequences in that. And there still is. And, and, and so this, this whole chapter is really about this, this thing happening in that the Pharisees are going to make this choice now to go after Jesus. And they start to attack him uh, in this chapter. And the first attack is what we read about in verses 1 through 8. When the disciples are walking through the fields, grain fields, and they're, they're getting something to eat off the fields. Um, you were allowed, according to Deuteronomy, it's in the 20s somewhere, 23 or 25, I don't remember exactly. Um, you were allowed to go through people's fields and get yourself a little something to eat if you were hungry. That was completely legal. It was part of the deal. It was part of the farmers knew it was a deal. You couldn't go and harvest their entire field. That would be stealing. But if you were walking through and you were hungry, you could get a little something to eat. That was part of the deal. So there was nothing unlawful about what they were doing. Where the Pharisees come to is, see, now they're trying to trick him, trap him, and catch him. If you really are who you say you are, there's no way you'd be doing these things on the Sabbath because we have 600 oral traditions uh, that, that you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And your disciples, in going through the grain fields and, and picking off some grain, getting some corn, whatever it was, a very sort of meager meal, have violated the Sabbath. And um, Jesus says in verses 7 and 8 a, a couple of things that are very important that we have to begin to connect with the issue here. He says, first off, he reminds them that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. See, they had twisted the Sabbath. Because in verse... Do you remember I said to you at some point recently that, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? And it's a day of rest. It's a gift that God has given us. But because we don't know how to receive the gift, and, and they didn't even back then, but culturally now we're all messed up. And so um, we, we, we immediately go to, okay, if I'm going to observe the Sabbath, what are the rules? We do it now. What are the rules? People ask me all the time, what are the rules? And, and see, rather than take it as a gift and, and understand what it's all about, it becomes rules. Well, okay, so, so in order to comply with that, all right, well, I'll give you some things you can't do. See, that's how it all starts. And so they say, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, then, then all of a sudden come these exceptions. Well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? Well, we'll make another rule. We'll make another rule. We'll make another rule. All of a sudden, you've got 600 rules about taking a break. And they couldn't do it. Because no matter what, they, they just couldn't do it. And, and remember that, that they're trying to defend the law, and the law was put in place as a, as a sort of a picture of what community in the kingdom of God would look like, but also to let us know that no matter how hard we try, we can't make it. It reminds us of our need for a Savior. We can't do it. The, the, the top ten are hard enough, let alone adding another thousand sort of rules and regulations to it. There was no way. And that was where the people were. There's no way in. They couldn't do it. And that's what Jesus is coming. He came, you, one of the things he said, you've come to, you, you're condemning the innocent, and, and he needed to straighten it out. And then he says in, in verse 8, he, he said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, when he says that, what he's saying is, to the Pharisees, it was... For the Pharisees, it was no longer about the God of the law. It was all about the law of God. And they got it upside down. They got it upside down. And when Jesus said, listen, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he was making a point. 
And, and so it's a very important point. And, and yet, all of us have to be very careful because it's a common thing for us to run to rules and regulations in our walk with God because it seems safer there. We, we ha- we, grace is a hard concept. Um, being led by the Spirit of God is a hard concept. <clears throat> and often we go, okay, well, how do we do it? And then we'll look for someone to give us some rules. And if they seem reasonable to us, those become our rules. But what if they give you the wrong rules? What if that wasn't the rules? What if they had to come up with some rules and so they said, you know, these are the rules. But, but they didn't fit. See, that's the whole deal. And, and rather than connect with God and, and spend time with Him and, under, and try to understand grace and try to understand the movement of the Spirit and, and trying not to be so compartmentalized and tossing God into a box, what if what He really wants is us to be in relationship with Him so that we are constantly sort of asking Him, is this something I should do or not do? Not, it's the rules. It's a big difference in life. But it applies today, see? And yet it's way easier to go with the rules. What are the rules? It's a question almost all of what are the rules? The rules make you a Pharisee real fast. Because if I give you rules, and you follow the rules, and you see somebody else not following the rules, you know what happens right away? You get real self-righteous. Wait, wait, wait. I'm following the rules. And you look like you're having all the fun. So we have to be very careful in, in this whole process. So he starts there. The attack starts there. Now, the, the next attack is about healing on the Sabbath. And uh, this is an amazing thing. And really, in context, when you read it, it looks like the Pharisees are trying to set Jesus up with this guy and the withered hand. It's like they, they, they're setting him up. Because picking grain was bad enough. Certainly, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And, and yet here's this man. And they know, see, the compassion of Jesus. But they're, they're going to keep trying to trap him now. And, and so the, the man is there. And what you have to understand, this is very important, is they no longer, they didn't care about the man at all. They just cared about being right. Look, this happens all the time. We have to be so careful. And Jesus, what he says is, you'd, you'd pull a, she, a sheep out of a pit. And he, and he says, you, a man has more value. But how often do we get stuck in that, that, that on issues, it becomes more about being right than it does about the value of a person? And, and so we have to be very careful. Because rather than being compassionate, we, we'll become judgmental and legalistic. And we can't, we can't impact anybody that way. Jesus always spoke the truth. But do you ever notice that, that around sinners, he wasn't harsh? If you, if you look at Jesus, you'll see that he reserved harshness for who? The religious people. It was never with the sinners. And yet oftentimes in the church, we, we are harsh with people that are, are sinners. And then we wonder why we can't bring them into the kingdom. We don't have to approve of what they do. But, but we have to be able to love them in somehow. Because we don't, we don't ever... Not, you see, because if it becomes more about being proved right, than understanding the value of a person, we've missed it. We've become like the Pharisees. And, and we've missed the heart of Jesus. But again, that doesn't mean that we, we don't value the Bible and believe in the truth, because we do. But it means that we have to be careful of, of the way that we tend to present things, and we have to always be looking at the, the issues of the day 
and how they fit into the Word and our stance. And, and where's our stance coming from? And, and we need to get to the ministry of Jesus and see how, how, how would he have done it and what would have been the point. But, but we have to know the value of people. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave us. He loves, he loves us all. He loves his creation. We are the creation of God. Everyone is the creation of God. Now, when you get into the scripture, we become the children of God by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's scripturally accurate. Sometimes our culture wants to say, well, we're all God's children. Mm, we're all God's creation. There's a difference. However, he loves his creation. And, and he wants relationship with them. And, and relationship is... So understand, the impact that Jesus had was because he came and gave people hope. He never said what they were doing was okay, but he gave them a hope. And there was a way. So we have to be very careful as, as we look at these things and not become calloused in our approach with people. Jesus confronts religious people harshly, but, but he, he rarely confronts sinners that way. He confronts them in love. Always with the truth, but in a way that they have hope, that they can change. It's a big difference in the approach. And so, after Jesus heals the man with a withered hand, and the hand is restored just like the other one, the Pharisees set it in stone. They make the final choice. They, they start figuring out they need to kill Jesus now. Does that, is that shocking to you? Uh, fine, we can't, we can't get him under our wrap from this time to kill him. Even though we see what he's doing, and even though people are being touched and changed, it's not the package we wanted, we're going to kill him. And yet, the people of God have always killed the messengers throughout the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a constant thing. Why? Because they're never, they're never what we expect. And so they, they start the plan. Uh, along with the plan in Matthew 12, 14 through 24, they start a smear campaign as well. They start saying things, oh, he does it because he's, he's from the devil. This is, this is all done by the, the power of the devil. And so in, in verses 25 through 37, Jesus responds to the accusations. And he says some, some very, very important stuff in, in this process. The, the kingdom of God has been clearly presented and demonstrated to the Pharisees. And... And yet they decide, they choose to deny the evidence and they want to stir things up. And, and in verse 31 and 32, he says a couple of very important things. First, he makes it clear that everyone who speaks against him can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, this, this particular verse in, in, uh, has con concerned people forever. And it's the idea of the unpardonable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I often have people that have contacted me, and maybe you've been there themselves, and they're kind of freaked out because they're, they're convinced that they've done that. They're not sure how, but they somehow think that they've, at some point in time, said something against the Holy Spirit, and they're done. There's no way in. All right. So you have to read this thing in context. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Listen, you can say all you want about me, and you'll be forgiven. But ultimately, if you deny... And he's talking to them right now. See, because they, they, they sort of said that it was the devil doing it. If you deny the fact that the things that are being done is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit, if, if you deny that, that the, the Spirit of God is here and that the, that the kingdom of God is here in Christ, uh, if, you, if you go all the way to the end and, and never accept what's happened, you're done. That's basically what he's saying. You can't... If you... It, you know, if you don't 
submit to the evidence and take that step of faith and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. That's, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because He's come to make sure that you, you get a chance to know what's happening. And, and He's telling the Pharisees, you can say what you want about me, but if you deny, if you make this choice, if you go ahead and do what you're doing, you're done because you, you can't make it in that way. I, I'm here for you. And, and you have to receive what's happened in the process. And so he's saying, look, you guys can still be forgiven, your accusations against me. That's significant. Because a lot of us, without, well, some of us knowing, but some of us without knowing, have said a lot of things about Jesus in our lives. And aren't you glad that you can be forgiven for that? I'm so glad, that because that, I didn't know. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in church. And uh, I got saved when I was 25. And there was a lot of stuff that, that's not good prior to 25. And there's plenty of stuff since. But, um, but prior, it was real. I'm, I'm so glad I can be forgiven for that. But see, I, I didn't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because when I got it, I got it. And I accepted Jesus, the Lord and Savior of my life, at the wooing of the Holy Spirit, who, who definitely drew me in. Okay? And so all that is, is what's taking place. But, but denying it, denying the work of God in Christ by the Spirit, and not accepting Him as Lord and Savior will impact you throughout eternity. And so, he's making that point, and then he chastises them for their lies and slander, and he says that the words that they're speaking are coming from the fact that they've, they've missed it, and they've, it's, it's evil. And they're the ones that are rooted in evil, because all they really want is what they want. They don't want God any longer. Look, they've come representing God, but they don't want God. They want what they want. And that's another big deal. We have to be very careful of that. Because that's the root of evil. Understand the enemy, that was his deal. He wanted to be like God. He wanted what he wanted. He wanted what God had. He wanted it for himself. The Pharisees have come along and they, they started out well, but now they've morphed into something else. And it's about protecting their deal now. And we have to be careful that we don't ever morph into just protecting our deal. But, but we're willing to look at and look for God in the process. And so uh, they would rather do whatever it took. They would rather kill Jesus than, than have to make a change in, in their lives. They, they come to him in uh, verses 38 through 45, and they request a sign. Now, he's already done all sorts of miracles. Look, the, the, the request wasn't to confirm their faith, but it was to try and excuse their unbelief. See, again, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to force him into doing things and to get him to do stuff and to take him out of the things that God has called him to. And what Jesus does is this. He points them to the sign of the prophet Jonah. Ultimately, what he's doing is he's pointing them to the cross. And see, that's the sign for the ages. For anyone who struggles with understanding Jesus, it gets to the cross. It always gets back to the cross. And what he did at the cross... He, he, that he went for us, that he died for us, that he, he you know, the, the whole gospel message, that he, he was born miraculously, uh, a, a virgin birth, and he lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross at a time, uh, and in his willingness, the time that he chose, and there he died on the cross, and then defeated death and rose again. That's the, the heart of the gospel message. See, he did all of that, and, and it's the sign for all time. Because Jesus refers to it's like what Jonah did. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to be your sign. That's going to be your chance, guys. And, and you're going to get a chance to deal with it at that point. And if you don't, 
There's nothing I can do. But there'll be a sign. And it's, it's the cross. And it's a sign for all of us. And, and the parable that he goes into in verses 43 through 45 about the, the demon uh, man who's, who's uh, it's cast out and then he doesn't follow up and he comes back in and it's, it's worse. Um, he's saying to the people of Israel, the nation, and, and it has farther reaching implications. Look, if you sort of have seen everything that you've seen and you, you, there's this hope that comes in and that you reject me, it, it, the evil will get even worse uh, in, in this whole process. And, and it's true today for people that reject what Jesus has done on the cross when, uh, you know, uh, it, it, so many people want to dismiss Jesus. And so they come up with all this other stuff. But it's, it's, it's the same stuff that's always happened. Just get different names to it and different things to it. Well, and they start deciding, you know, what God might be like. And they, they put God in their own box. Our culture has defined God as this, you know, very nice, happy skippy God, and, and certainly he's going to be okay with me because he loves me. And so I don't really have to make any changes. There's no, nothing required of me because, you know, God is, is this, that's one picture of God that's very prevalent. And, and all that God really wants from me is to be a good person. Our culture is so wrapped into that that, that almost anybody you ask, well, 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 yeah, it's really just, as long as you're a good person. That, that's, that's bottom line for people. It's not founded in anything. It's not what the Bible says. Being a good person is a nice thing, but none of us are really that good. <laughs> I know you all. I like a lot of you. <laughs> but but we, we, can't, good's not, we can't make good, and good's not the standard. Perfect's the standard. None of us are perfect. Nobody here. We're in trouble. But Jesus has made a way at the cross. He was perfect. And his sacrifice made a way for us. So we, we have to understand that and grab that. And, and if, you, if you don't grab that, it just continually gets worse. And the scary thing is, you know, how, how can things be more evil? Look around and see the changes that have happened in 40 and 50 years in our culture. And, and the things that we talked about couldn't even be imagined 30 and 40 years ago. Some of the horrific things that happened didn't happen. They, they just didn't happen. And now they happen all the time. Why? Because evil is picked up. So it's all, all these things are happening. And then in 46 through 50, he, he uh, talks about his mothers and his, his brothers. And, and listen, sometimes the people that are closest to the truth have the hardest time receiving it. So he, because his mom will get it eventually, so will the brothers. But they, and, and I, I don't, I'm not sure how she's in this struggle anyway because of all the stuff that she's been through. But there's a season that she's, there's, there's something going on. They don't want to be in the room with him. Like, come on out. And, uh, um, Sometimes our, we have to watch the pull of our culture and also sometimes the people closest to us who are trying to, trying to draw us away from the truth. And we have to be very careful that, that we understand um, really who we can trust and, and uh, what that looks like in our life. So that's Matthew 12. It's 8 o'clock. I'm going to shut it down there. If you have prayer requests, pass them up to me and I'll pray for you. If you're watching on the video, um, if you're up in Williston, Scott and Pam pray for you. If you're on, just on the Internet, call us, write us, email us. We'd be happy to pray for you here. So who can tell me what we're going to be doing next week? Very good. Matthew chapter 13. You guys are really getting it. It's only taken three months. Uh, we move into the parables. I love teaching the parables.